that we hold them under the water till we see the sin come off them. No, no. We hold them under till the dove descends. And then we know it's time to let them go up. Um, we welcome you to come. Uh, a friend of Will Mariano, um, their friend has opened their pool to us. Directions are on the back table. Uh, it starts at 1230. Uh, we have, uh, can you just take a message? Tell them I'm a little busy right now. Thanks. And... Um, <laughs> So uh, come on out. Again, we have um, the Miller family with Maureen, and we have Deb over there. She's taking the dunk, and Ian over here. And uh, so it's going to be a good morning as they profess publicly their faith in Jesus Christ. So we welcome you guys to come again. Directions are on the back table. Uh, outside the walls coming up September 15th. It's a Saturday. It's September 15th, right? Whew. September 15th. It's a Saturday. Please mark your calendar that you were going to be serving the Lord on that day, September 15th. You're going to be famining on that day. That means no eating from Friday all day Saturday. And again, if you feel that you have a medical condition that can't allow you to not eat, please don't feel that you have to. But a medical condition is not, I get a headache when I don't eat, okay? We talked about that, right? I get crabby, so does everybody else, all right? That's the beauty of the whole thing. We're going to experience what at least more than half of the world experiences every single day. All right. And now we're going to, today we're going to initiate, inaugurate a new campaign here at the church. Remember last week, for those of you who were here last week, I said that, that people deserve to be blessed just because they're people. Just because they have been made in the image of God, that they deserve to be blessed. And so... We've devised a way to bless people. We're going to call, call it the drive-through blessing, okay? This is what you got to do. You have to, when you're in line to Dunkin' Donuts, to McDonald's, to Dutch, whatever, whatever drive-through you're in line, you pay for the person behind you. And then you hand the cashier this little card. We have stacks of them on the back. All it says is just a demonstration of God's love. And then on the bottom, we have our web address. So maybe they can find out more about because remember we said that just serving someone without introducing them to Jesus, we do them an injustice. And so we want to demonstrate the love of God, and we want to maybe uh, point them to Jesus in the same way. So these are back there on the table. I did it on Friday. I went to McDonald's, and uh, the line was like out to the road. Of course, I pull in, and nobody's behind me. I'm like, oh, great. So I'm praying, come on, God, you got to give me someone, you know, we got to try this, you know, this is going to be good, come on, come on. Finally, this guy in a minivan pulls up, I'm thinking, oh, he, yeah, and then he just gets, because the line is big and he just pulls away, I'm like, oh, and then this car pulls up, this old clunker, and the windows are all dark and tinted, I can't see, and I'm like, oh, no, I don't want this person. I mean, you know, God's blessings has, you know, and, and, and I was like, okay, fine, so I get the only guy that doesn't order from the dollar menu and is buying his entire family McDonald's for dinner. And uh, I I went up to the window to pay, and um, I said to the girl, a young girl, I said, I'd like to pay for the car behind me. And she looked at me, she went, really? I'm like, yeah. And I said, and would you please give him or her, because the windows were so dark, I couldn't see, him or her this this card. And she looks at it. Really? I'm, I'm like, yeah. And the manager comes over. He takes the card. I'm like, I'm creating an incident at McDonald's here. I just want to pay for the person behind me here. And so the manager's like, fine. So he strokes you know, my card, and then I pay for the person behind me. And uh, the whole time, the girl's like this, looking at the card. 
Like something magic was popping out at her. So it's just like, and I just drove away. And so we want to just bless people because they're people. And this is a very practical way that you can do it. Don't bring them in your house because you don't drive through a drive through while you're in your house. Leave them in your car on the dashboard so you remember. And so there's plenty. Everybody can take 10, 15 if you want and just use them. And when we run out, this is something we just want to continually do. We want to continually be able to bless people as a church. All right? That's it. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into what God has for us today. Lord, we want to thank you for your grace and your mercy, and thank you that you are our God, and that you give us blessings every single day. I pray that you give us eyes to see those blessings, and, and to, to not to just hold them for ourselves, but we would give them away to you, uh, way to other people. Lord, I pray this morning that as we open your word, such a simple word this morning, God, I pray, though, that I just, I'm going to trust that as simple as it may be, Lord, that your spirit is going to do some work here this morning. So I ask the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So, you know, we finished Jonah, and I was trying to figure out where we're going to go next, and I've been praying through, and, and a while ago, I had, uh, in my own time, kind of went through the book of Malachi, and uh, it's a really good uh, Old Testament book with all kinds of stuff in there, and there's, and there's all kinds of God's redemption in there, but there's also some spanking going on in there, and, and so it's, it's, really, it's a really a good book for us to study. So I, I decided, well, let's, let's go there. And then I, I started to get into the first chapter. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so simple. This is, this is such an, it's, it's, I can probably say it in one fell swoop. Like one sentence and we'd be done, we'd be out of here. But for whatever reason, it just kept, I, I couldn't get away from it. I figured I could just gloss over the first five verses of chapter one. And we can get into some other things. But God kept bringing me back and bringing me back to this very simple truth that I believe that we need to talk about today because it's good for us to be reminded of even the simple things, the things that we take for granted every day. Now, remember the movie Forrest Gump? It's one of my top five movies of like all time. I love that movie. But there's this scene in Forrest Gump, right? And Lieutenant Dan... He's, he's sitting on the mast of the ship, right? And it's in the storm. And he is calling out God. He's like, is this the best you got? Come on. And, and he's like, and he's riding like a, like a, a cowboy rides a horse. And I was going to show the clip actually, but there's some potty mouth words in it. And so I know that you know, we're Christians. We don't watch those movies at church. We watch them at home, but we don't watch them at church or use those words you know, unless we're home. So, so I figured I wouldn't do it. But there's Lieutenant Dan, right? And he is calling out God. He's angry at him, shaking his fist. He should have died in Vietnam like all of his ancestors did. But instead, Forrest saves his life. He's got no legs. He's a double amputee. And he is angry. Angry at God. Now, throughout my life as a, as a pastor, I've met spoken to a lot of people that have called out God, that are just so frustrated and angry with him because of his actions or sometimes his, his lack of actions. They've, they've gone to him with questions 
and, and hard questions and anger and in frustration. I mean, I admit, I've, I've been there myself, shaking my fist at God. What are you doing? I don't get this. And I'm sure that I can't be the only person in this room that has gone to the mat with the creator of the universe. Gone head to head with God. Well, at least, the, at least we think it's kind of going head to head with God. It's more like throwing a, um, a puppy into the water to fight a great white shark, right? I mean, because that's really the, the odds that we have. But, we don't, but when we're frustrated, we don't care about the odds. We go to the mat with God. I think sometimes um, it's good for us to do that because some of us experience some very deep, painful hurts. But other times, there's things that we go to the mat with God for. I think he just laughs at us. He's like, Jesus, look how cute. They're showing his teeth. <laughs> you know, like, and, you know, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it, you know. But other times, it's good for us to do that. The biblical story is chocked full of people that have done the same exact thing. Uh, Psalm 47, the writer says, Hey God, are you asleep? I mean, are, are you sleeping? Can't you see what's going on here? Psalm 44, it's, the, 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 the psalmist calls out, Hello, have you forgotten that we're suffering over here? Abraham, I love Abraham. Abraham calls God out. What the judge of the earth isn't going to do what's right. I mean, that's some chutzpah right there. I mean, calling God out that way. Or even Jeremiah. Jeremiah said to God, you're like a deceptive brook, a stream or a spring that has failed. And later on in in Jeremiah's life, he will just look to God and go, you know what? You deceived me. Can you imagine that feeling like being deceived by God? Like he deceived you. I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing to think about that and to feel that way, which I don't think God would ever deceive any of us. No, I believe that God would never deceive any of us. But to call him out, God, you deceived me. But if I'm honest, I felt that way. There's a couple times in my life as a pastor, I have felt that way. That God called me to something and went, psych, I'm changing it up. <laughs> I remember one day just going, I didn't sign up for this. This is not the deal we had. And calling God to the mat once again. Even Jesus on the cross would call out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is not a time in human history and our human condition that has silenced our complaints, our frustrations to God, because it still takes place today. It still takes place in the lives of believers today. We cry out from this place of of pain and hurt or brokenness or anger or frustration. You know, how can you let this happen to me, God? Where are you in all this? Why me? Can't you just fix this? Just this once, please. We call God out over and over again. I mean, how many people just in our, our community here have uh, suffered from some type of illness, some type of chronic illness, and in their frustration have gone, God, why, why can't you just heal me? 
Why, why, how long do I have to suffer with this? How long do I have to go through this? And they're frustrated with him. It feels like sometimes, at least I've felt sometimes, that he really doesn't care. Or he doesn't really love me. I mean, how can a dad let his child suffer when all that dad has to do with a mere thought take that suffering away? I mean, it's an honest question. It's a question that we all have to wrestle with sometime in our life. Why would a dad allow that to happen? I know about you, but sometimes my prayers seem to go more unanswered than answered. Does anybody feel that way sometimes? Felt that way in their walk with Christ? And for me, again, and I'm, I'm going to be very honest this morning. Uh, some of you might not like it, but that's okay. You'll get over it. You're all young. If I'm being honest, um, it doesn't offer me a whole lot of help to be told about God's past love and his past works and his past mercies and all the grace that took place in the past. When I'm going through it, right, and it feels like life just has given me a sucker punch, I'm not sure I really want to hear about the goodness of God that took place then. In fact, sometimes when I think about that and it's brought up, it makes what I'm going through hurt just that much more. Because I'm going through it now, I know that God can fix it, but he's choosing not to. And that's hard sometimes to get my mind around. It's hard sometimes to get to to realize that somehow I've been told through the Bible that my suffering in this moment is for my good? Really? God tells us. It doesn't make it all that much. It doesn't make it so easy. It's almost like we live in this divine contradiction. You know that saying, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. We throw that around. A lot of times we throw that around in the most inappropriate times. But sometimes that saying to me feels like just a theological concept and not human experience. I'm not sure thinking back to the past always helps me with the present agonies that I'm suffering now. And this is exactly the way that Israel felt when the word of God came to Malachi. They were wrestling with things that just weren't making sense and and God wasn't showing up. And this is... This is the way the book opens. Malachi. Can we go back one? Thank you. Malachi, chapter 1. A prophecy. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Israel doubts God's love. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of God. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel." 
And so what's taking place here is Israel is calling God out. Almost as you would call somebody to court. Almost as you would call somebody to go to trial. For, and they're bringing him to trial for his actions or his lack of action. See, in the history of Judah right now, they're just this small, little, nobody knows them providence. They have no real reputation right now. They're just this, this afterthought in the world. Haggai and Zechariah, they have, they've prophesied about this amazing messianic kingdom that is going to come to pass. And they got nothing. Even after the temple has been rebuilt for over 50 years, God has promised to them in, in this historical time that, that he promised them blessing. And right now all they're experiencing is drought and locusts and it's attacking their crops, which is causing economic burdens on them, which is causing them to have no food. Their quality of life is suffering. Life is hard for them right now. And God says, I love you. And the whole idea in, in, in the, the, the way it's worded in the original uh, Hebrew, it's, it's, I have loved you and I love you still. You know, we Oasians here, um, and that's what we call ourselves to all our, our guests, we're Oasians. And you can be an Oasian too if you have a little cup of the Kool-Aid we have out there. I probably should stop saying that, huh? People are going to be like... We don't want no cool. Uh, anyway, we are wasting. We're not a rich community. We don't have any millionaires that, that come to church here. Well, at least none that are tithing right now as far as millionaires. Okay. Nobody wakes up on Christmas morning and gets the Lexus with the big red bow. And our economy in the United States right now isn't doing all that great. Yes, we're not being attacked by locusts and drought, but our economy isn't that great. And it's causing hardship in people's lives. People are losing their jobs, losing their homes. The quality of life is sinking. Yes, I understand that we have it much better than many, many of the people in the world, in other countries, but we live in this country. And so we are suffering through some things, economic things, cultural things, social things. And we too have been promised a glorious messianic kingdom jesus is going to come back and establish his kingdom here on this earth i believe that with all of my heart but man we've been waiting for thousands of years for that to happen we got nothing yet it's almost like nothing has changed from the days of malachi till now and i can understand and i can hear the frustration in the people's the people's response god says i love you and i still love you and the people like oh yeah how have you loved us god what have you done for us lately where are your promises that you said that you were going to fulfill we don't see anything happening right now how have you loved us i mean it's an honest question an honest emotion. I think it's a question that we all have to deal with. And can you imagine, those of you who are married, can you imagine if your spouse, the last time they showed you any love was like five years ago? And so you go on this drought for five years of experience, none of their love, and they say, oh, I love you. I've always loved you, and I still love you. Yeah, well, put some rubber to the road, okay? Show me. I want to experience some of that. Your words are cheap. Don't, that, that was then. What, what about now? It would be very frustrating to live that way. 
You're going to let it play? Y'all got lame ringtones, man. I got, like, I got screaming cheetah wheelies on mine. It rocks. You got, dee, dee, dee. Come on, work back. Is that, is that Verizon or AT&T? Who had that? I won't embarrass you. I, I will. I just did. I'm sorry. But get some real ringtones. All right, where was I? Um, yeah. But, you know, we're talking about there, like between husband and wife and spouses and friends. We're talking about there about interpersonal relationships, people relationships. But with God, we're talking about this divine relationship with him. So we know that in our heads, it's going to be different. It's not going to be exactly the way we think it should look. And we understand that. But there's something in our hearts that just says, man, this is broken. This doesn't feel right. Something, something's wrong here. As I read the Bible, I find that faith, at its core, at its very foundation, faith is about waiting for God. Faith is about waiting for God to act, for him to do something. And it's, and it's expecting that he's going to do it. It's expecting that, that he's going to keep his promise. It's about going out, not knowing where you're going, just because God has promised you a new land. It's about going against the enemy, even a bigger, stronger enemy, just because God has, has promised you victory. Faith is about um, obeying the commands of God, even if they're hard and even if they don't make any sense at all. Just because obedience to the word of God brings life. Faith is about holding, holding on to the future while we're still moving in the present. And the present and the future don't look a lot alike. And it's about hoping in that future that God will bring. And it's about trusting that he will do what he says that he will do. You see, that was the covenant relationship between Israel and God that they were called to trust and obey. He called them his possession, his people. He set them apart to bring blessings to all the families on earth. He considered himself a husband to them and he would care for them as a husband would care for a wife. He considered them uh, his children and he would nurture them as a loving father nurtures their children. And in return, they were called to obey him. And by in their obedience, it was their act of love to him. But now look what it says in first peter but you you all of you jesus followers are chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation god's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light once you were not a people but now you are the people of god but now you are the people of god once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy we the church followers of jesus christ we are now in that covenant relationship with god through christ Chosen people, royal priesthood, set apart. We are called to bring blessing to the nations. That God's blessings would come through us and be poured out to the nations. Mercy, grace has been given to us because of Jesus Christ. And our response should be that we would obey what God calls us to. 
And that is our act of love to him. But in Malachi's day, Israel got tired of obeying. They got tired of loving God. They got tired of waiting for him. And the reason why? Nothing was happening. God was quiet. None of his promises were coming through. The things that he said were going to happen weren't happening. They weren't sensing the love. They were having a hard time. They were in the day-to-day grind of life. And it wasn't feeling good. And they were becoming frustrated. God. See, as a people, they were called in obedience, but they were called to live a certain way in their relationships with their friends and their neighbors and even in their, in their marriages. And they were called as a people to tithe. They were called to tithe uh, to God's house and to support the priests and the, which means that they would have to bring their, their money, their resources to the priests, so that they would have something to eat. They were called to uh, sacrifice the best from their flocks to God. They spent time learning and practicing their faith traditions, but for them, unfortunately, those traditions seemed as distant to them as God had felt. And as individuals and as a community, they were called to pray, but as they were praying, it seemed like their prayers were just kind of fading off into the sky and no one was hearing anything. God just seemed to be absent in it all. And then he has the audacity to start this and say, I love you. Well, they're having a hard time with it. And maybe some of us can relate to that because their story is our story. And our story is their story. You know, we live the daily grind. Get up in the morning, go to work, come home, work. Get up in the morning, go to work, come home, work. Pay your bills, pay your bills, pay your bills. Oh, pay the bills. Anybody get any mail that's not a bill? Anybody get like lots of checks in the mail? Mm-mm, it's always, they want the money. Every month, what's wrong with these people? We live in that daily grind. And sometimes it feels like God is nowhere to be seen. Where are you, God? Can you, can you throw me a bone here? Something. And yet we get little glimpses of, of goodness sometimes. And, and sometimes we just write those off because we're always looking for the big God-sized thing. If I get a $10 check, thank you, God. But you know, you could have hit, hit the person up and put $1,000 on their heart. I'm just saying... And we always want that God-sized thing. And we let the little blessings of the days just kind of fall away because sometimes life is hard and we're in that grind. We're in the grind. And we engage our faith stuff, right? We, we go to church. We engage our traditions. But they just, they just seem sometimes like we're going through the motions. You come to church on Sunday because that's what you're supposed to do as a Christian. You're supposed to go to church on Sunday. And we love our neighbors Maybe from across the street, because it's much easier to say, you know, I just loved all my neighbor right there, you know. Uh, and, and, and our marriages, are we doing the best that we can? Malachi is going to spank the guys in a few weeks. But ladies, that does not let you off the hook. We give of our finances. Well, some give of their finances, others don't. And that's just the reality of church worlds. Jesus calls us to give sacrificially. A radical generosity, but that's hard for many people. And I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I, I really have to come to the point of, of going, no, I don't think the Ritchie family 
is giving as sacrificially as we can. C.S. Lewis was once asked, how much money should you give to the church? He said, well, that's a really difficult question. He said, but, but if your giving starts to not allow you to do some of the things that you want to do, then you're on the right track. But we kind of engage in that, and we pray. We make our requests known to God, some of us more than others, some of us uh, in a deeper sense than others. But if your prayer life is just about asking God for stuff and to do this, and could you give me that, and can you heal this, if it's all just about that, that asking part of it, then I bet you your prayer life can be, feel very hit or miss because there's much more to prayer than just that. Yes, God calls us to ask that we would make our requests known. I've been praying for youth leaders for our church for almost four years. I got nothing. The prayer is much deeper, much, much deeper than that. Have you ever wondered, in light of this verse, are we really God's chosen people? I mean, really? Because some days it, it doesn't... It doesn't feel like that. But the Lord is going to answer through Malachi. And he's going to tell them, I've done things. I've done things for you. And I'm going to do things for you. But the weight of his response is not in his explanation. The weight of his response is actually in the first two words of that verse. Wes, can we go back to the, the last slide? It says... A prophecy. Those two little words could be translated as an oracle or a burden. See, what God is about to say is burdensome for him. There's weight to it. He says, I love you. I've loved you and I still love you. And as I read this this story of God unfolding in these pages, I've come to the realization that God's love for us, in a very human sense, is a big burden for him. You see, his love doesn't change. It doesn't ebb. It doesn't flow. We don't get more. We don't get less. God's love is a constant for people. A constant. And it doesn't change if, as we change in our behaviors and our attitudes and even in our sin. In, in Genesis chapter 6, as early as the book of Genesis, God is grieved over the wickedness of men's hearts. And then throughout the Bible and in, in Psalms, it talks about how he grieves over our disbelief and he's, he grieves over our rebellion. And then we move into the New Testament and we see Jesus just broken because people's hearts are hard. God's love for us can be a burden for him. I could just imagine him. I could just imagine him weeping Weeping the sign of, at, at looking at the sight of the cross that he had to give his one and only son over to the cross because he loved us that much. And it was the only way, the only way to make it right and to get us back. To Israel and to us, he defends himself with words of compassion. I've loved you. 
And I still love you. In spite of how you treat me, I love you. I believe he wants to say, you know, I believe he tells us, I know that it's not perfect right now. And I know that there's things going on that are painful and are broken. But that doesn't change my love for you. I haven't left you. I haven't forsaken you. It just may mean that we can't fully understand the love of God. There are things about it that we can't get and understand as humans. Do you believe that? Do you you believe that God loves you? There's a chapter in the book of Romans. I'm reading through Romans because I only have about 13 years left almost until I preach through it and then retire. And so I'm I'm starting now to prepare. And uh, chapter 4 of Romans is talking about Abraham and Abraham's faith and how his faith was a credit to him as righteousness. See, it wasn't his morality. It wasn't how many times he prayed. It wasn't how good he was. It wasn't how... It was his belief in God that was accredited to him as righteousness. And then in Romans chapter 4, verse 20... In 21, it says this, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. In the face of promises that did not make sense, that were just seemed to be physically impossible, that were taking way too long to happen. They weren't happening on Abraham's timetable, even Sarah's timetable. She giggled when she heard the promise of God, like, yeah, right. And then denied it, which I, I love that part of the story. But, but, and so all of this, it said that he did not waver through unbelief, but was fully persuaded fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised to do. So if God has the power to do what he has promised to do, then his promise that he loves us and still loves us doesn't go away. Our righteousness is our faith that God will do what he, that God did what he promised he would do through Jesus Christ. Our righteousness is that we would, in faith, believe that God will fulfill his promises in the future, that he will establish his kingdom on this earth. And, and God's promises are based in, in his word. It's not just what we kind of think or what we kind of want. Like, I really believe that God has promised me that in 14 days I'm going to win that blue Harley Davidson 2012 soft tail deluxe. But I can't find it in here. Because I don't think God really cares if I win that motorcycle. I mean, I think he would care if I won it and then I was calling in sick on Sunday because I wanted to go out for a ride. But that's something completely different. But the promises of God in this book, in the simple promise, I love you. I've loved you and I still love you. Do you believe it? I mean, can you believe it no matter what? Can you believe it no matter how quiet it seems? Can you believe it no matter how many times you've prayed over and over for the same thing and it hasn't come to fruition? 
No matter how hard life is, no matter how frustrated you are, no matter how things seem to be going bad to you, still, can you believe the promise of God that He loves us? No matter what. No matter how hard life may get, no matter how unspiritual your spirituality seems, can you believe that God loves us? Because, because when he was speaking to Malachi, he was telling him of all the things that he did for his people. But ultimately, through Jesus Christ, God did something amazing to prove that love. Wes, can you run that video? It's all about. It's the love of God here poured down to his people That's much your love. I don't think I can tell you that enough. Not because of anything that, you're, that you've done, that you're doing. Not because you're really good. Because you're the best Christian. Not because you sing well. Not because you read your Bible all the time. God loves you because of you. In spite of you. The night he was betrayed, he took bread and he took this cup and he said, you know, every time that you do this, remember me. Remember that love. And maybe the, the disciples, they really didn't fully understand it yet because he had yet to be nailed to the cross. And he would demonstrate once and for all, this is how much I love you. And yet, so often we call God out. Because it doesn't happen quick enough. It doesn't happen the way we think it should happen. Begin to understand how much you are loved. As you come to the table this morning, I would encourage you to begin to meditate through that idea.